welcome to the ALSG podcast, a collection of interviews from the 2023 ALSG conference in Manchester. I'm Ben Simon, and in today's episode, we'll be exploring changes to the seventh edition of the APLS course with Kate Denning and Dr. Stephanie Smith. Well, we're here at the ALSG conference in Manchester for 2023. My name is Ben Simon, and I'm here with Kate Denning, Director of Education for ALSG, and Dr. Stephanie Smith, Chair of the APLS International Working Party for ALSG, and Honorary Emergency Pediatrician at Nottingham Children's. How are you both? Well, thank you. Good morning. Yeah, welcome. Yeah, it's been a big 48 hours. Really big. I mean, when I say well, I'm quite tired, uh, but it's been it's gone down really well. Mm. It's been a, such a fantastic conference yeah. with a real variety of speakers who've been so good. So, and just really lovely to meet face to face again. Yes, to actually see people again. I've really enjoyed that. Yeah, uh, there's been a lot of networking for people we haven't seen for many many years. It's lovely. Yeah. So my understanding was this is the first conference in five years that's been face to face. Yeah, is that that's right? That's correct. Yeah. Yes. And the thirtieth anniversary of APLS as well. Yeah. Yes. So, so there has been cake and, uh, well, biscuits more than cake, I think, provided for people with the uh, anniversary logo. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. No, it was a wonderful conference yesterday. Uh, very grateful for inviting me along and uh, so fabulous to see what's been happening in the UK with ALSG and around Europe. So look, we're here tonight specifically to give our listeners some updates on the new 7th edition of the APLS course, both in the e-learning modules and in the face-to-face course itself. And for those who are at the conference, they got to see a demonstration of some of those changes. Uh, so if it's okay with you guys, we might work sequentially through the e-learning and then the face-to-face course uh, and some reflections on assessment changes and anything else that you'd like to highlight, if that's okay. So, uh, Kate, we might start with you. Can you give us a snapshot of the big changes that have been made to the e-learning module? We've put quite a lot of uh, changes into the e-learning modules, and that's come about as a result of having a really clear sense that people don't like doing e-learning modules. And in particular, they don't like long answer questions where they've got to actually sit there and think about it. And um, and I know this because I feel it myself. People just want to click through and get to the end. Mm-hmm. So what we've what we've done is we've restructured the e-modules completely and we've also reduced the number that we've got. So we're, we're down to only um, 12 e-modules now, having been 17, I think, plus some knowledge checks, we called them. So, what we, so we've restructured them so that the beginning of each e-module has got some review questions and that's kind of about retrieval practice. So right away, getting people to retrieve the learning that they've got from having read the relevant bits of the manual. And there's there's probably, um, it, it varies, but there's between six and 10 review questions at the beginning of each e-module. And those all have right or wrong answers. And then the clever computer can tell how well you've done in those questions. And if you um, get any of those questions wrong, then you're automatically directed down an arm of the e-module, which then gives you a bit more teaching. So there's a, a sort of an extra teaching and learning component. If you get all of those questions right, then you get the option that you can skip that additional teaching section and you can go straight to a couple of case studies, one or two case studies at the end of the e-module. So one of the things that I feel quite strongly is that some people arrive with a huge amount of knowledge already and it's um, we're not always respectful enough of that. Mm. So it's kind of a shift in that trying to be a little bit more respectful so that people don't have to do that middle chunk if they've already clearly got the knowledge. But then the bottom section of the e-module is, is, is the case studies and that is about trying to put this learning into practice in preparation for arriving on the face-to-face element of the course. So I hope that we've thought enough about the various different challenges that you get with people not wanting to do an um, online work, but it is still the equivalent of a day's 
study. So people do need to sort of take that into account. Yeah, it's a, uh, I love those changes. And I think it's a really tricky design challenge, isn't it? I think people have often been trained by a lot of corporate mandatory e-learning modules that aren't particularly well designed, really keen to just skip over them. But as an educator, it's a really enticing opportunity to create a great foundation of knowledge that you can make it a really high quality and then kind of mass produce quite efficiently it comes with those costs well and to be honest i've also written a letter <laughs> letter from the director of education which openly acknowledges we know that you don't like doing these mm. but we also know that the research evidence says if you answer these questions which are expecting you to do some thinking then that's the best thing you can possibly do for your learning mm. so so you know i think it's quite important to be quite explicit about understanding that people don't necessarily like this yeah no it's yeah. a tricky sales pitch so i hope it goes well um, so also, sorry to uh, stop in there. Also within the e- within the e-learning, the pre-learning, we've got a lot of videos now, and these are skills videos, and it's things like the um, airway videos and so on. And we've we've set those up so that people we want people to watch those videos before they arrive on the course, and they show you how to do each of the skills, which will then be done on the course itself. So. When people arrive on the course, they have already seen, watched the videos and seen the vi- and seen the skills talked through so that they arrive with that pre-knowledge and we, do, we shouldn't have to then do that on the course. Okay, that makes sense. So we might recall back to that um, uh, yeah. because it's a nice segue really. So uh, we're next going to talk about some of the face-to-face changes. And, and Stephanie, it sounds like there's a very significant shift in the UK APLS away from discrete episodes of skills teaching in isolation to more embedded practice within the sim. That's exactly right, Ben. That's what we've aimed to do. And we, again, Kate mentioned about respecting the learner. Many people come with a skill set having practiced things like insertion of intraosseous needles and um, how to do bag valve mask ventilation. They come to this course already prepared to do that. So we're going to respect that by just doing a facilitated practice and continuous assessment of their abilities over the course. That means that we, and Kate's already alluded to this, are no longer emphasizing the four-stage technique for teaching skills. It will now be facilitated practice on the course because people have watched the videos beforehand and already have prior knowledge. And this is really funny. <laughs> to be quite honest, because Kate, you mentioned that we were discussing the skills teaching and you mentioned that uh, APLS is formally moving away from mandating the four-step technique and the audience did actually kind of burst into spontaneous yes. applause. Yeah. <laughs> it's practically a standing ovation, <laughs> we can safely say, because we know that many instructors have paid lip service to the four-stage technique. Uh, having seen the benefits of repeated practice for some individuals, it is not necessary for all. We appreciate that. And therefore, it is facilitated practice within the scenarios and the simulations so that it's not a, an isolated skill, as you've said. So I guess, um, why did you make those particular changes? Because it's a very big shift, actually, within the teaching strategy. I think, again, it's about re- respecting the, the skill set that people already have when they mm-hmm. come to the course and other courses that they've done which might have, have helped them with those skills. And because it makes it more real, it's what you do in the workplace. It's the skill you use when you are managing a particular clinical situation. Yeah. 
And uh, it was quite nice to watch it play out yesterday in that you could see the scenario run and then it almost felt like even in the demonstration, people were more enthusiastic about practicing the skill because they had a narrative of why it was meaningful and Thank important. Thank you. I hope that did help. Kate, did you have something yeah, to I add? Think, I think contextualizing things is really important mm. and where you learn them and, and that matters. And the other thing that I observed was we had a pilot last week and what I really liked was that people did the intensity of the simulation and followed that with the debrief, which can also sometimes be quite intense. And then they had a skills practice. So skills practices were happening throughout the day rather than all at the beginning. Mm. And it gave the day a much nicer flow to it in terms of people's energy levels. So I also thought, I think that that was a, what do you call it, an unintended consequence, which I really liked as, yeah. you know, watching as um, somebody from an educational background. Yeah. Oh, great. Oh, I was going to give you all the credit that was deliberate. Because so. <laughs> it did remind me of like a four component instructional design type thing where, of course. yeah, where you, you you know, so I think you know the theory being that you, when you are learning and you're a clinical adult learner, that you want to see the whole task as it is embedded in real clinical practice to get a feel for both what that looks like and also uh, why you would want to master the micro skills within that. So I thought it was a really lovely way to frame that. Oh, thank you. Well, mm. hopefully it'll work out, and inst- instructors will buy into it. That's the key mm. thing: is that instructors, are, you know, are able to come along with us with this. Yeah, and um, well, I think it's a bit spicy to dig into that then, because I can imagine one of the challenges is, is if we're in this continuous assessment model. Stephanie, you mentioned respecting the learner, but if there is a newer learner who doesn't have those skills, it will take a little bit of a different skill set to monitor that. I can imagine in the sim. <laughs> Yes, uh, and instructors are going to have to be aware of that. But also the rest of the candidates, it's an opportunity for them to bond as a group and for them, those who have got the skill set, to help their fellow colleagues in the group. Yeah, okay. Uh, I I think what we can also do is... Um, you have a simulation, you have an embedded skill, you practice that skill afterwards. If somebody has struggled with that, you will then ensure that in later simulations, you ask them to be the person who needs to do that skill again. Yeah. So we, so we, you know, we can make sure that people get a number of practices mm. and that's important. Continuous assessment isn't right. You, you've made it. Yeah. It's that we want you to keep up that standard. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay, so there'll be multiple opportunities for like spaced repetition, really. Absolutely, which, which I love. Yeah. <laughs> And technology such as a WhatsApp group has helped considerably for the faculty to share that information without the need to find the course director and and have it pointed out separately that somebody needs to... uh to, to practice something again. Yeah. So you have some digital solutions for the faculty to communicate as well yeah. during the course. Can I just mention about the skills? We're also very aware that not everybody needs to acquire the ability to do every skill. Mm-hmm. They need to be aware that these things can be used to manage um, clinical situations. But some of the skills are discussed rather than practiced by all. And um, I'm thinking about, we, we all talk about things like a clamshell mm-hmm. um, to manage uh, emergency situations, but that's not something we expect probably anyone on the course, let alone everyone, to be uh, able to do. So we, we don't practice those things yeah. in the same way. No, that makes sense. Uh, well, how about with the simulation, Stephanie? So, excitingly, we have quite a few new simulations. And at that point, I'd just like to say thank you to so much to so many people uh, from the working group, but also others who've really worked hard to to update and check out and um, improve the information that's available for the simulations. So we have a bank of simulations now. 
nowhere near as big as the first few APLS courses, but that cover the majority of clinical situations we want people to be aware of. And so the simulations now are going to be run in a slightly different way. There's an embedded the word that so many people use, but we'll call it a faculty helper. So one of the instructor group will actually be feeding information from within the scenario. That's not secret to the candidates. They, they're very aware that this is an instructor. But the idea is for them not to look outside of the running of the, the simulation to the lead instructor, who has the opportunity, therefore, to stand back and watch. And that, we hope, will improve the ability for a learning conversation afterwards because they're much more objective about what's going on rather than trying to feed in information all the time as well. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, for those of you who weren't at the demonstration, essentially what I saw was, uh, you know, in sim terms, we might call it a confederate or an embedded actor or a simulated team member, but that one of the APLS faculty will be uh, a colleague who's feeding that information in clinical uh, context during the resuscitation so there's not an external facilitator. Um, and that can be quite nice, right? Like it can be very, uh, a little bit more natural. It mm. uh, can also build a bit of psych safety in that person is both helping and facilitating yeah. rather than standing there with the script at the end. Uh, and one of the big changes or one of the things that the team noticed yesterday was that that did allow the debriefer to sit back and just focus on observing the sim yeah. and identifying opportunities for the learning conversation. Absolutely. And I think um, it does mean a change for instructors. They will have to be uh, more aware of how the scenario is going to go because they haven't really got time to be reading off a script whilst they're feeding in information in. So we do encourage people to prepare the scenarios much more than perhaps they've been used to doing recently, although that will come with familiarity as well and, and they'll uh, become much more uh, at ease with doing the scenarios in that way, I hope. And the other thing that it, I think makes it a little bit easier is if you've got a candidate who is slightly struggling or, or has uh, is freezing in some way, then the embedded faculty helper can put in realistic prompts. So they can say, oh, it looks to me a little bit like the child's struggling to breathe now. And doing that from within the scenario is much, much more realistic mm. than it coming from outside that scenario. And those, those prompts can be upped. You, you can give, you know, greater and greater prompts if the person is struggling. You can say, oh, I wonder whether anyone else on the team is going to be able to help us here. You, you know, there's all sorts of different prompts you can put in. And then from the perspective of continuous assessment, that then it needs to be part of the conversation that you have afterwards about whether this person has reached a safe standard or not. It's the amount of help I had to give is concerning to me. Mm. I carried on giving it because I think learning is incredibly important and that all the simulations people need to learn from. But I think we're going to mark that person as not quite there yet in terms of they, they weren't able to do that independently. They needed too much support from me. And I think that introduces the idea of the new language that we were going to use around uh, the continuous assessment. And I think I, I particularly like the not quite there yet phrase rather than um, below standard or... You know. Below expectations yes. it was, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we've, we've changed that language because meets expectations and below expectations they're just too nebulous as phrases and people don't really know what that means. So we've changed the language to be more descriptive. So we've got um, safe is, is the key one. Is, is this person safe? And then um, 
not quite there yet if they're if they're if we feel they're not there yet and that is somebody who needs some more work to get themselves up to that safe standard and then below that we've got seriously serious concerns <laughs> we've got serious concerns and that that is you know if something is particularly concerning about it but not quite there yet isn't a bad thing it just means that person needs a little bit more um, coaching or lifting or, or stuff's going to come out in the learning conversation etc etc well can i can i dig into that then or yeah, carry on. <laughs> well, this interests me a little bit because there is some grey here, isn't there, between an educational space and an assessment space. And that's likely fine, but it will take some nuance in terms of negotiating that. And I know you've run a few pilots now. How have you seen that play out? Well, we've been doing continuous assessment with sixth edition in the UK for quite a while. I know you haven't been in, in Australia um, so we already know that it's hard. Hmm. It's really hard to both um, teach and assess at the same time. And that's also quite hard for the candidates in, in the sense that they're always being assessed. But actually, on balance, they prefer it. The candidates prefer it because it feels like the stress is lower. It feels like they're more supported within it. What, what I think for me, and I'll be interested to get your thoughts as well, Stephanie, what's important for me is that the faculty... Um, get the opportunity to look at each other, to eyeball each other, and just to sort of say, did that feel safe or did it not feel safe? Kind of thumbs up, thumbs down. And, and that's where I would draw the line between safe and not quite there yet. I would agree entirely. And we've been emphasizing the need for faculty to do that for quite some time. And I'm, I'm sure there are many more now who, who can and do feel comfortable doing continuous assessment. All right. So uh, we've, we've talked about the changes to the simulations. And Kate, I hear there's a new reflective session. Oh, yes. Um, really, We're really excited about this new reflective session. So we initially introduced it into the when we did a remotely enhanced version of the course over the pandemic so that we could keep running the course. Um, and it was particularly then we put it in about helping the groups bond with each other and also helping us to identify people who had instructor potential. Those were the kind of things that we were looking at. But basically the way that session runs is you've got an hour with your group and you have asked beforehand for each person to bring a story of their own to the um, event. And they then just take it in turns to share their story and to for whatever conversation emerges out of each story and for them to question each other, et cetera, et cetera, and just talk about it. And all the facilitators should really do is just move them on and make sure they get through all of the stories. So it very much is about, is very much candidate led. It's not the, not the instructors getting involved. And I know instructors love to teach, but this is an opportunity for the candidates to teach each other and to share and so on. And I, what I have witnessed is instructors are a little bit unsure, a little bit reluctant about this. And then they thankfully and very bravely, and I love them for this, they do it and they are always so pleased with, with the energy in the room. And that energy is sometimes very sad and sometimes very uplifted and there's sometimes laughter. There's all sorts of different energies, but it really does work as a very different space and it's very candidate-led, isn't it, Stephanie? Absolutely. I found it a very powerful session. I talk quite a lot on the remote courses and obviously was involved in the um, concept of how we were using those. And, and for those who don't know, we did one day entirely online where all of the original lectures were done and there were lots of breakout sessions. And this was introduced, as you say, as a way of the team really understanding each other a bit better because they weren't face-to-face -face on day one. 
and then there was only one day face to face, so that um, any viruses could could only be spread over one day rather than uh, cancel a course halfway through. Mm-hmm. Uh, and very effective, but it was it was such an important practice that we wanted to incorporate it into the new edition of the course as well. And the thing that I found most fascinating was the very first trial of materials course that we ran. We actually had a an instructor group as well, a faculty group, who were quite. Um, unsure about doing this session because none of them had actually experienced it before apart from the facilitating faculty member and there were some incredibly moving and powerful stories that they all came out buzzing uh, from that session when we mentioned it yesterday in the in the um, conference quite a few questions were raised about the psychological support for candidates uh, encouraging them to share stories. We don't feel that they have to bring anything that's particularly traumatic for them. We're not asking them for that at all. It's more about an experience of resuscitating a child. And if they choose to share something a bit more personal, and interestingly, many of them do, they go back years and years with something that's been playing on their mind, mm-hmm. then the rest of their candidate group are very supportive, has been my experience. And sometimes it requires the facilitator to encourage that, but very rarely it's done from within the group and healthcare professionals are very good at supporting each other. Yeah, I agree. And I think um, there's, there's a difference, isn't there, between therapy and connecting as human beings and sharing stories. And I think while there can be some of the benefits from sharing stories, I think it's a very different space with uh, less risk in some ways. But I can imagine sometimes some people might be worried about emotion when potentially the display of emotion isn't necessarily the same thing as stress or trauma. Mm. I think yeah. people often get emotional and, and display a lot of stress and trauma on an, a- an APLS course anyway, don't yeah. they? Because they're being assessed all the time and because they're being put in this new environment. So yeah. it's a potentially stressful space. What I've observed is this improves the group dynamics mm. so that they're better able to support each other. Yeah. Um, and, and it's also about contextualizing the learning again, which is incredibly important, mm. I think. And so it's like, what, what can you learn from the, from the APLS course? about that case that maybe would have been different, etc. those kind of questions. Yeah. Lovely. Uh, any, any other changes in the course that you'd like to highlight before we wrap up? I can't think of any uh, Yeah, I think we've got the major things that are different. Uh, instructors will always worry because change is change. Uh, and hopefully we've given quite a lot of guidance in a um, instructor guide that's mm-hmm. now available for all of our instructors on these particular changes and we're also going to be doing webinars mm-hmm. for uh, instructors to drop in and ask any questions that are concerning them and for us to share the information. And I would say for the next um, year or so whilst we're still trying to work work it all out, I recommend that um, faculty groups, that the coordinator organises a pre-meeting prior to the uh, face-to-face element of the course and if that can be a week before the course itself and we at ALSG and Stephanie and the working group will support you in that meeting and we we can be there and and at that meeting you can outline the changes again and also make sure that people get themselves prepared with their particular sims and it's probably worth if you can get together and have a little practice at running a sim with this new it's particularly the embedded faculty helper that's the bit that's that's the challenging part is learning that script so we, we would also recommend that faculty pre-meet. So just to be clear, that would be an online pre-meet. Thank you. 
and um, only local faculty to do the practice beforehand if possible um, with their recess team or whoever has the equipment available. And uh, to be frank, I think it, it's important for us to, to acknowledge, I guess, that any change can be hard, isn't it, when you've got a course running this long. Uh, and I can imagine actually some of the feedback can be quite strongly worded sometimes. In terms of feedback to APLS about the changes, what does helpful constructive feedback look like and what would the most... I love that question Ben, <laughs> you're right people do struggle with, with change yeah. helpful constructive feedback is more uh, rather than people telling us what's wrong it's yeah. telling us what they think we need to change it to uh -huh. and that's invariably the kind of but you know we think something like an e-module if somebody identifies an, an error I need them to tell me what the correct thing needs to be yeah. so I'm really happy to have conversations with people I know that Stephanie is as well and we've also got the wonderful Tanya Ralph on the team who responds very quickly to questions too so we've we've set up a temporary email address apls7e at alsg.org that people can write to and either Tanya or I will respond to that very quickly um, to sort of give that additional support but or if they're finding errors that they want us to that they pick up and they want us to change um, bigger criticisms we have to try and work out is that because people don't like change or is that because we've not got it quite right and we just have to talk about that as a, as a working yeah. group and try and work that through yeah I know with some of our courses we just learned actually that really valuable feedback happens after you launch isn't it sometimes and that's when you can genuinely monitor and see the impact on learners and uh, that can be really I helpful. think we're open aren't we we're, we're definitely yeah. um, open people so yeah fantastic very much so we uh, we know I mean the, the, prior to all of this being done of course the, the manual was rewritten mm. um, and so we had a tremendous amount of learning and help uh, particularly from Australia thank you yeah. very much indeed to oh. the, the team there who provided many of the illustrations and pictures that we used and uh, very helpful in supporting all of that great uh, well just to recap then so we've talked about the immense amount of work this must have been to overhaul up to the seventh edition of APLS and in particular we've highlighted some big changes to the e-learning that's a little bit more curated and respectful of people's previous training with some essentially pre-assessments in individual modules that allow you to skip some segments of the course if you've successfully completed those questions accurately. We've talked about moving the skill stations away from being discrete episodes in themselves and actually embedding them within the simulation and debrief sessions so that they're more related to a clear narrative for the participants. And we've also talked about abandoning or at least releasing us from the expectation of the four-step technique, some changes to the way we facilitate the simulations and also the ability to connect learners together through a reflective shared storytelling session. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you, Ben.